I'm Felina Jean, and this is Black Broads Abroad. I'm an international woman of leisure who said peace out to the United States in 2011, and I have not looked back except at this ass, honey. Since then, I've lived on four continents but traveled to over 40 countries. Along my journey, I've come to know some very compelling black women from all over the world who also said fuck you to their comfort zones. I created this podcast to inspire black women in the diaspora to take risks and live their very best lives. This week has been emotionally and mentally taxing for me, but I'm sure for all of us for real. I just took the week off last week and did the bare fucking minimum. Just thinking about how to pivot in these times and the scale of business amidst the pandemic. And then also like being in Africa away from my loved ones, it's all taking somewhat of a toll on me. So I slept and then like I caught a cold and not to mention like I smoke weed. I quit smoking cigarettes because of this pandemic. Cause I know that, you know, coronavirus decreases like 30% of your lung capacity, but I'm not going to stop smoking weed no time soon until I learn how to cook with it or seep it in my tea. But I mean, like any cough, any sneeze, any sniffle, I'm just like, oh, shit, do I got the Corona? It's just like it's making me like mad, (laughs) hyper aware of shit. One thing I keep um, seeing is these memes floating around about if you don't come out of this quarantine with a new skill, a new business idea, etc., you lack discipline. And I think there's some truth to that, but I'm going to do both, okay? Uh, I'm going to tend to my fucking mental and professional and emotional well-being grind it out and I'm going to sleep 16 hours on those days I'm feeling too overwhelmed and that's just what it's going to be. One thing that did boost my morale this week was like me and five of my homegirls, we did this um, shake the room challenge. It felt so good to beat this face full MUA with the lashes and the contour and the highlights and full glam regalia we had a lot of fun i posted the video online i'll probably send it out in the newsletter to put a smile on people's faces and um another highlight you know i love francophone african men honey that francophone drip just hits different anyway here in south africa um the lockdown has been extended until the end of april which i fully anticipated Um, It may even go longer for real, but I think all the governments are just telling their citizens in digestible bits. But needless to say, all of the liquor stores um, in the country are closed. We can only buy essential uh, items per President Ramaphosa. So um, I guess he just doesn't want drinking because he doesn't want instances of violence, domestic violence, arguments. And that makes sense because... Both unemployment and femicide are um, real big problems in this country. But to be honest, I don't even drink that much. I'm far more of a pothead. But now, um, how am I supposed to hit up Club Quarantine on the weekend with Manny Fresh? And my man, we happy hours with my girls if I don't have anything to drink. So my beloved Francophone friend, (laughs) 
came through in a clutch. He owns one of the um, bar cafe situations in my neighborhood. And he personally delivered a bottle of Jack Daniels, some Prosecco, a six-pack, a um, Savannah Dry to my doorstep with his face mask and his gloves and toe. <sighs> I love a man that makes himself useful <laughs> without any prompting. Other than that, like, I'm noticing in my own neighborhood, some of these niggas are really still not adhering to um, this lockdown shit. And like I'm not the I'm not the type I'm not the type of bitch that's gonna call the police or somebody, but I'm like I'm damn near tempted. I went to go pay my electricity bill, and uh, we have metered electricity here that's like prepaid, so you have to go to the store and like pay for it. And in route, it was a bunch of niggas playing soccer in the middle of the street. When I was in my Uber. I saw um, niggas playing cards in front of the bodega, John. I'm just like, you know, this is just so freaking reckless. So reckless. And the shit is just putting everybody in danger. Anyway, enough of my rant. I hope that you guys are doing whatever you can to stay sane and feel relatively normal. But stick around for my interview with Robin Allison Davis, who is a friend of mine and also an Emmy-winning journalist who is originally from Washington, D.C. and a Howard University alumni who moved to Paris a few years ago to pursue um, an international career in broadcasting. So stick around for that. But first... Let me tell y'all motherfuckers what happened last week. In coronavirus news, nearly 1.8 million cases have been reported in the world globally. New York having the most cases of any country and a total of nearly 500,000 Americans have tested positive for the virus with some concerns that nations such as China and the United Arab Emirates are underreporting their numbers. I am sure that all of the numbers are grossly underrepresented because still only a fraction of the world population is even being tested. Um, and less surprising, but nevertheless unfortunate news, black people are being hit the hardest with what was initially deemed as the colonial disease. In Michigan, blacks are just 15% of the population, but represent 35% of the diagnosed. This means that black people in Michigan are 133% more likely to be infected by the virus. In Illinois, black people are 16% of the population, but 30% of the diagnosed. In Chicago, black people represent 70% of those who have died of the virus. In North Carolina, South Carolina, and New York, Blacks are 75% more likely to contract the virus than their percentage of the state. In total, Black people are seven times more likely to contract the virus than white people. You know, we can't even begin to have a conversation about um, Blacks being disproportionately impacted by corona and not mention the underlying institutionalized racism that led to the pre-existing conditions um, that caused our susceptibility in the first place. 
I heard somebody say this is the first time that we have all been on the sick and shut in list. You know, I'm absolutely flabbergasted by the fact that we are nearly one fourth of the way through the 21st century and we're fighting a viral disease with in the exact same manner and tools that we used in 1918. Wash your hands and stay away from people. So after 100 years, what have public health agencies been spending trillions on that has made any difference at all? Nothing? I'm perplexed. And hop-in losers, let's lose news. Bernie Sanders has conceded to Joe Biden, finally realizing that he has no path to victory. But to be fair, his socialist ideas don't seem so harebrained anymore. And I bet all those crackers whose whiteness was more important than their health, I bet they sure wish they had some Obamacare right now. Anyway, I'm saying it here today, as I predicted in 2016, that Trump would win. He's going to win this November as well. He's sending out $1,200 checks and... $600 a week federal unemployment benefits to his snaggletooth inbred constituency. They ain't never seen no money like that in their life. And he gonna send out another one right before uh, the election in November. Watch what I say. And get it how you live news. Only fans, a website that typically houses adult and like nude content. I mean, some people are on there selling their artwork or workout routines or writing services, etc. But they have seen such a surge in membership reporting that they have seen 170,000 new users per day as unemployment has risen. I have a grand idea. Somebody get Lizzo on the phone and tell her to move her BBW soft porn content that I'm unwittingly assaulted with when I'm just trying to scroll through my Instagram feed and I don't even follow her. I mean, it'd be a win, win, win for everybody if she just moved that shit to an OnlyFans site. She could monetize her content for the people who want to pay to see her big black ass, okay? She get paid, her fans have a unique experience, and I don't have to be ambushed with BBW soft porn outside of my Pornhub feed. See? Everybody wins. And Black Girl Magic News, Dr. Kismikia S. Corbett, a viral immunologist working with the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, is taking the lead to develop a vaccine for the coronavirus. One time for the Black girl and one time for the Black woman, the Black doctor named Kismikia S. Corbett with the black as fuck name that's taken the lead to develop a coronavirus vaccine. I'm here for all of this. She has been called on by people in high places. President Trump is one of them. In March, Trump visited the NIH because of its groundbreaking research after five years of work. Dr. Kismikia is quoted in saying, I can go from the trap house to the White House in smooth transition. She goes on to be quoted in saying, if I say something in African vernacular, it doesn't change the fact that the data is the data. Congratulations. 
And that's it for... Let me tell y'all motherfuckers what happened last week. Until next time. Robin Davis is an award-winning documentary news producer and content executive based in Paris, France. Experienced in all forms of media, Robin has nearly 15 years of producing and script writing experience, including a news and documentary Emmy Award. Her passion for storytelling has led her to work on a variety of projects, including producing long-form news reports, corporate and IGO videos, developing docu-series for streaming platforms, producing podcasts, and consulting on various productions. Robin has accomplished what many only dream of doing. She traded in her 10-year career as a successful journalist at NBC for the pursuit of a life of adventure abroad. After earning a master's in global communications from the American University of Paris, Robin is now a freelance TV producer and writer. So in 2016, you decided to leave your very successful career at NBC as an Emmy Award-winning producer after 10 years of living in New York. What was the impetus for the decision, and did you know anyone before you moved to Paris? So I decided to move to Paris, um, not because I loved Paris or because I was a Francophile and I had been studying French all my life. No, that was absolutely not it. I always wanted to have an international career and an international life. Working as a news producer, I was always more so interested in doing international stories, but it wasn't really possible where I was working. There was kind of a lack of interest um, in the news landscape at that time. So I said, okay, well, maybe I'll just apply for jobs abroad and like they can hire me and I'll get sponsored and it'll be great. Did not work out. Mm. Every job I applied for, they they wanted to know, number one, do you have a visa? If you do have a visa, do you speak a language that we need, like uh, like Farsi or like Arabic? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I don't actually. So I kept getting a lot of doors closed in my face. Eventually, um, things I felt like I had reached a point at my job where I really couldn't go much farther. So I said, okay, I am just going to quit and I'm going to leave, but... I didn't know where to go because I know that I have certain things that I like in my life, certain, a type of lifestyle that I like. And I looked into doing the foreign service officer test, but there were just too many places where they can send you where I knew I would probably be unhappy. So I made a list of what the characteristics of a place that I would need to be happy there based off me being from DC and having lived in New York in my early 30s. I know what I like by this point. So the list had things like must be um, in a major city so that it has a lot of cheap flights back to the U.S. Must be in Western Europe because I didn't want to be too far from my family for the first time I'm moving abroad. Must have a lot of free or cheap cultural events in case I'm not making a lot of money. Uh, Must have a lot of green space, different things like that. And it came down to London or Paris. And at the time, I really hated London. So I said, okay, I guess, I guess I'm moving to Paris. (laughs) And I knew two people here at the time and uh, not very well, to be honest. Uh, But my friend Maya, who has been living here for quite some time, she told me that she wasn't even fluent in French before she moved. And I said, wow, really? I didn't, I didn't know at that time it was possible to even make that type of move. So that really inspired me. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I can do it. Then I guess I can move to Paris. 
So Maya, we know, is, is Chaz's cousin. I need to get her on the show because she has a wonderful, um, like, doesn't she do, like, tours or something? I bumped into her at, like, the big yes. natural hair fest a few years ago. And, yeah, she seems to have access. Yeah, she runs a lot of uh... – <laughs> She she has. I mean, she she's doing great in Paris, and she's been a great resource for me. So it's been good to know a couple of people here. So what, if any, um, culture shock have you encountered transitioning to Paris? <laughs> so visiting Paris is not at all like living in Paris. Like, France is just... I thought it was going to be really easy because I was like, oh, I'm coming from New York. So New York and Paris are so similar. It'll be fine. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, if, I think one of the biggest things is just the bureaucracy, uh, which France is pretty much known for. They have so much paperwork and the way they do things is archaic. Like, for example, the first apartment I moved into, I never got internet in it like ever, because they said I couldn't, for that type of internet that the place was wired for, they said I couldn't do it online. Then they said that they needed the name of the last person that lived in the apartment to get the internet <laughs> set up. Mind you, like my, my apartment had just been bought by some Americans who were renting it out to me, so they didn't, they were living in New Orleans, they didn't know who was living here last. And I just never got it. And I would call and I would try to talk to them and they'd say, call back with someone who speaks French. And I would go and visit them and they'd say, come back with someone who speaks French. So actually, I mean, some of my Tinder dates tried, went with me to try to get my internet hooked up. And they still couldn't get it hooked up. So that's the thing. It's not like it's so easy if you're French. Like, no, it's still... There's still right. a lot of crazy things, even if you are fluent in French or are French, that you have to go through in France. Um, I don't understand why. I don't know why it's like this, but um, that has been one of the major, the major uh, shocks for me because you have to, you have to fight for things a lot. Um, you have to really kind of be strong and make sure you know what you're talking about and push, 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 and then eventually the doors will open and you'll get what you're actually looking for. Yeah, and like, we, like, Parisians are, people from France just generally speaking, they know full well they speak English. <laughs> but I, they know full well, they force you, which is good, they force you to speak um, the language, so um, I actually have to, I, I appreciate that, that you actually have to be fully immersed in their country. Um, so your actual your actual Wi-Fi situation seemed seemed worse than this African Wi-Fi that I'm contended with. <laughs> they don't even require all that. <laughs> yeah, I I don't understand. And then they're so advanced in so many other ways. So I just I just don't understand. They just pick and choose, I guess. <laughs> so there are all kinds of ways to embark upon an expat journey. Some people do it with savings and no real plan, and they're just on their eat, pray, love vibes. Others are recruited for international positions, which which you were attempting to do initially, and then. You know, some people generate passive income from online businesses. But your entree into becoming an expat began when you were enrolled at American University of Paris. Why did you see it as a vital component of your professional trajectory to enroll in an international master's degree program? 
To be perfectly honest, um, that's not why I did it. So, like I said, I was trying to get a job and all of that, and everyone wanted me to have a visa already. So when I looked into moving to France, like, what is the easiest way? The student visa is the easiest way. Okay. Um, so I figured I will go and get this master's at this English-speaking program since I don't speak French already. Since I mean, I spoke Spanish. I never, I never in my life thought I'd be moving to France. So I didn't speak uh, fluent French to be in a French program. Uh, so I did the master's degree because I said this will give me enough time to live in France and also find a job in France and be legal in France and you can work on a student visa oh. and things like that. So for me, I was, yes, I was trying to have the type of life I had in New York, eventually have it in Paris mm-hmm. where I'm just working and everything's great, amazing, getting a salary. Um, the program for me, the program, it helped me make a lot of connections. Actually, my job now came through connections that I made while I was in the program. And I'm grateful for doing the program, particularly because another culture shock of France is that they're, um, there's a certain way that you must do things for people to understand it. And what I mean by that is that people often said to me, like, I don't understand. Well, how are you? a student, you're in your 30s. Like, going, getting a master's here in your 30s is completely unheard of. Really? Students, yes, they go to university and then they get their master's degree, like, one, two, and then you get a job. Okay. And to that effect, it is extremely hard in France to get a job without a master's degree. So I didn't even know that when I moved. So so it was actually very helpful that I got one because on top of my experience, people were just like, oh, she has a master's. But a lot of jobs won't even look at you unless you have a master's degree. But part of that is also because education is so cheap there that it's really not, it's not a financial hardship to get a master's at a French school like it is in the U.S. Uh, um, that so it, it really... Though. I mean, just to recap what you said, because that was really important. So the, the easiest way to like segue into uh, getting a visa in in France is to go the student route okay and you can work it a lot of people do it for well a lot of people do it for French classes which is the cheaper way mm. you can there are some French class programs where you can get a student visa and stay uh, for the duration of that program and and work <laughs> uh, yes you can't you can't work full-time on the student visa there's some sort of thing where I think maybe if your visa is a year you work like nine months there's a certain amount of hours that you're able to work on a student visa that's clutch thank you oh thank you so it actually worked out for you (laughs) even though it wasn't necessarily you were you were doing it just to kind of finesse the process a bit more, but it worked out to your benefit. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. I, I'm glad I I'm glad I did it because having the masters, um, whether the curriculum was for me or not, it it really helped me with my career here. It helped me land something. So Paris has such a long history of African Americans expatriating to the country for a better life. Josephine Baker, James Baldwin, Eartha Kid, Nina Simone, on and on and on. Have you found that you have been treated with a great deal of respect? And how would you compare your lived experiences as a Black woman in the U.S. versus in France? 
There is definitely a difference. There's definitely a privilege of coming to France as a black American, a privilege that uh, some of the black French don't have or that some of the black people from other uh, parts of the diaspora don't have. I was just at a women of color group yesterday and we were saying how a lot of times if you speak English, all of a sudden people are trying to not be as racist towards you. Um, <laughs> or they see your blue passport, they're trying not to be as racist towards you. So that is definitely a thing. But that being said, um, I don't feel like I've been treated with a grand amount of respect uh, as a black woman here. But for me, I think it's also the difference in coming from New York. I've had more kind of racial incidents in France than I've had in the U.S. Really? Um, I wasn't expecting yes, that. Yes, but it, Right. But if I was coming from somewhere else in the U.S. and not New York, maybe that different that answer would be completely different. But I've been dealing I've had a lot of microaggressions, um, which is taking a toll on me. And people France is very interesting when it comes to race. They don't they don't collect any data on race. They consider that to be racist, pretty much. So they have no idea how many black people they have in France. There's no census for that. There's no affirmative action. There's no quotas. There's none of that. And they feel like that's their way of saying, no, we don't, we don't see race. But they do. Bullshit. And they, like, you know, <laughs> decline you to sit on the, on the outside table or they decline to seat you in the front and want to sit you by the bathroom. Like, there are different things, um, oh. issues that I've had that I've never had in the U.S. And they've been small. It's not like, um, you know, no one's been violent towards me or anything like that it's been small but i definitely notice it i do wow. yeah that's actually um, trying to remember actually, the second part of your question oh the last the other part was um how would you compare um, compare the experiences uh okay well i think i think i answered that encapsulated that yeah but i was gonna mention like i, I think i ideal go ahead I, I was going to say, I just think um, particularly with the hair thing has been a huge thing for me in France, where it was not in the U.S. Uh, I work in an international organization. No, no. I, I work in an international organization, and I started um, doing my own, like, crochet twist. And it's cute and everything, but the amount of people at work asking to touch my hair. Oh, I'm seeing your Instagram <laughs> I was just like, really? Like, even one woman just kind of grabbed my hair in the elevator, and I was just like, this can't be life. So it's just, I walked into a dinner party one time, and someone was like, there's uh, there's Mrs. Chocolate. And I asked my friends later, I was like, were you guys talking about chocolate before I arrived? And they were like, no, why would you? I was like, that's what she's like. And then after she said Mrs. Chocolate, and I sat next to her, she immediately asked if she could touch my hair. So this is what I mean in terms of like me coming from New York. I never dealt with that, but I'm sure maybe someone coming from somewhere else in the U.S. maybe has dealt with that a lot um, in the U.S. But Shit, for me, it's been like, new. Well, I'd have to quickly <laughs> learn how to say "keep your goddamn hands to yourself" in French. <laughs> so that's, that's Listen, that's such a I have perfected my like matrix duck and move. I'm like, no, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> 
And it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned <laughs> that point about the census and them not um, taking any data because in my previous life I had a, uh, I had an ethnic hair care company and I was trying to capture data on uh, black women's buying habits in France and I could not find any information about the demographic of black people that exist in France and Haiti. Yeah. Haiti just stopped paying reparations to France like in 2014 or something like that. Like, when, mm. why would we have to pay reparations to them in the first place? So that's some bullshit. Right. <laughs> that's some bullshit. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. France is a complicated place. <laughs> I call it complicated. What have you learned about yourself that you didn't already know as a result of, of leaving home? So when I when I left um, D.C. to move to New York, I got my job at NBC, and it was a very low-paid job, very, like, Devil Wears Prada. Like, you have to work your way up. You're working 70-hour weeks. I was living in, like, a roach-infested and mold-infested apartment, and I was like, this is the hardest thing I ever had to do. Like, my, my rise, I guess, in New York, I felt like was the hardest thing I ever had to do. But then after I moved to France, I was like, no this this has been a test because i i realize that i'm stronger than i thought like people have always said oh you're strong you're tough you're this and you're that but i don't know it took a different type of strength to kind of make it in a new country um at a certain age by yourself because so many of the people that i met here were not here by themselves they came here because they had a french boyfriend or a french husband or different things like that um so it took it took a lot of fortitude it really did and it took a lot of uh, flexibility you had to be extremely flexible and open-minded mm-hmm. and i think i was flexible before but i perhaps was not as open-minded as i am now um and it's been tough, but it's, I think it's been a necessary journey for me. It's been necessary. I've learned a lot about myself, but I would say I've learned a lot about myself, a lot more about myself with my next journey that I know you're going to ask me about. Yes, that's, that's, that's <laughs> a whole other thing. Yeah, and so, I mean, to be transparent, you've been transparent about it. You are a cancer survivor and um, undertaken this journey of diagnosis, treatment, surgery, and your subsequent healing with so much grace and so much resilience. Um, you are a G, first of all, <laughs> first and foremost. Like the way you, the, just the way you maneuver this situation has been, um, has been amazing. So, how are you doing, first of all? How are you doing now? Uh, I'm doing better. I am. I um so yes, I was I was diagnosed in twenty eighteen with uh breast cancer in France. My doctor felt a lump and she was like, Oh, let's get this checked out. And then I just since then I've had three surgeries all in France. I had my last one in January. I'm doing better, actually. Like it's been exact about six weeks since my last surgery, so I was able to go to the gym today for the first time, and that was exciting. So I just, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that. How, um, how has it been for you navigating the the French healthcare system? 
It's been um, difficult. It's it's been very difficult. Um, it's just a completely different process that unless you were born here, you wouldn't know. There are so many differences between um, the U.S. healthcare and the French healthcare, both good and bad. Uh, for one, when my doctor felt the lump, um, she, I mean, I did like a MRI and I did a biopsy and a mammogram, a mammogram sonogram, MRI, and biopsy. And she was like, we'll make this appointment and we'll find out the biopsy results. And it, the appointment was in two weeks. And my friends were just like, there's no way she would make you wait for two weeks to find out if you have cancer or not, if it's actually cancer. I was like, yeah, that's true. That's true. Nope. Nope. I had to wait for two weeks. I was insane for two weeks wow. waiting for that. And and when I look at things about like breast cancer in the U S now, or even like watching, like I watched a reality show where someone waited for their biopsy results. They waited two hours. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Wow. <laughs> like in America, you just don't wait like that. Like you, it, it happens quickly. You, you get your answers. So that's been one thing. Um, another thing is that actually, so I am on the health, the French health insurance system. However, for my first surgery, I was not. So I finished school. I got a job. About a month into my job was when the doctor felt the lump, and they had just applied for my health care card. And so I asked my job, I was like, can you guys expedite my card? I really need the health insurance. Um, and they were just like, no, no, we can't. Can we to do can no it can't be pushed back like I, I need I need this quickly so I ended up using the private health insurance that I still had from grad school as well as everyone gets supplemental insurance with their job here so using those two things um, and I went to the American Hospital of Paris which people will tell you is very expensive and not to go to um, but it was amazing number one it's not owned by the Americans so people there don't expect to go there and hear English all the time. People don't speak English. It's oh. still a French hospital. But I had my surgery. I had a plastic surgeon, uh, oncology surgeon, and anesthesiologist stay in a private hotel, a private hospital room for five nights, and the bill was 25,000 euros. What? In America? Yes. In America? That would have been over 100,000. Oh, so that's good. Yes, that's amazing. Also in America, for a mastectomy, which is what I had, you leave the same day. You don't even stay overnight in the hospital. Oh, wow. So it, it goes to show that there there is a difference there. Now, where I've had issues is that a lot of the things that you do, you have to pay up front and get reimbursed, which can be fine if you're flush with money, but if you're someone who's seeing a lot of specialists because you have um, a major illness, it can add up. And I do have a special note on my health insurance that says, I have this illness, reimburse me at a higher amount, but it's still, there are still a lot of times where it's difficult for me because I'm paying a lot up front and it can take six weeks for me to get any of the money back. So that can be a, that's one major difference. And the biggest difference that I saw, I had an issue with one of my surgeries. There was a lot of money out of pocket that they said that I needed to pay. I paid it 
it was kind of a problem for me. And I spoke with someone at my job who was supposed to help me with the insurance. And she said, well, why didn't you, why, why didn't you talk to me? Why didn't you just, you know, negotiate with the doctor? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, you're supposed to negotiate with the doctor. I was like, first of all, I'm American. We don't negotiate prices. We don't haggle with the doctor for the prices. That's to me the like you're going through this very like you you've just been diagnosed and that is her response. Like how insensitive is that? Yes, yes. It was get her hair sample for me. I got her. It's it's things like that. I told her, listen, I'm America. In America, we negotiate with the insurance. We don't negotiate with the doctor. Like, I'm not trying to talk to my doctor like, hey, can I get a deal? Can I get 20% off? Like, what? What is that? That that makes no sense. Right. So it's been really different, but it's been amazing. I'm actually, if it had to happen, I'm glad it happened to me here. I'm glad it happened to me during the timing that it did, where I still had, at that time, that extra insurance from my school. I'm glad that I'm in a place where um, healthcare is just much cheaper. Just the cost of the billing for the doctors, it doesn't go extremely high, which doesn't cost you a ton of money. The salaries are much, much lower here. Uh, I took a 60% pay cut moving to France, but um, it still Lifestyle doesn't Lifestyle sometimes balances out even when there's a pay cut. Right. Yeah. Right. And then and then plus it's just the doctor's fees were just so much lower than what I would have dealt with. So it still is manageable. So I'm like, all right, I will I will stay in France for this healthcare. Like I've had great doctors. My doctors all speak English. Uh I really love them. I feel like they've done a great job with me. But it it has been tough being here by myself going through this. Um that was my next it's, question. Like, it's, do you have a support system? Do you have, like, a support system there? I, I did. I do. I do have a support system. It, it's always changing because people uh, living in Paris is a lot of the expats come and go transient, very often. Yeah, so, life is so mm-hmm, it's a very transient place. So some some of the people in my support system have had to leave. Some of them have come back. So it's very different, but um, I've been blessed that my family came for my first surgery and stayed with me. For my second and third surgeries, my mother came and stayed with me. Um, it's the more so difficult parts have been when I have been in areas where they really don't speak English, and I've got to, I've got to let them know everything, all the medical stuff. I got to let them know in French. I've got to figure oh. it out, and. Yes. <laughs> As a result, my medical French has gotten very good. Like, don't ask me how I feel about the state of the world today, but if you ask me what's my medical history in French, I've got you. Oh, like, wow. I know how to say it. <laughs> Self-preservation <laughs> is the first law. That's right. 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 So, and this not as, um, I've looked for a lot of support groups and things here for women with breast cancer. I haven't found that many. Uh, it's not as, I mean, part of it is that it's also a big business in the U.S., but here it's not as big of a thing. People are diagnosed with breast cancer. There are groups, but there's not as many. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, but I am part of a French support group um, for young people with cancer, 
and we go, we have dinner and we talk in French about how we're feeling and the ups and downs and all of that. So it's been, it's been good, but it's been difficult, particularly with jobs and things like that. That's been, that's been difficult having to work the entire time going through all of it Um, because there, there's not really the, I mean, I know the American system where you can be on long-term disability and different things like that. Um, but here, things are set up a little differently. So I've just worked the whole time. Yeah, I really appreciate um, you checking in on me from afar. And uh, the beautiful earrings that you sent me. Love uh-huh. them. Um, n- no, it's really, it's really done my heart good to have, um, when I get a message from you, seeing how I'm doing. Because sometimes you do feel super isolated and far away because you are far away from your family and other people here, they do have their own lives. So you try not to be too much of a burden on people. Um, but it's, I'm coming out the other side, so it's good. And I'm still here and I'm still in France and you know, life is wild. It's wild. (laughs) It is. That is for sure. What, um, What's the biggest lesson that you've learned about stepping outside of your comfort zone? The biggest lesson that I've learned, I think, is that it may not look how you think it's going to look. A lot of people, particularly with um, being expats, they like to talk about, you know, you step outside your box and that's where the magic happens. Or, oh, like I've never been happier ever since I moved here and life is amazing all the time and things are so glorious. And that's not, Those people are that's not real life. Those people are vacation. Right. Because. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, there's like real, my thing is that real life can still happen to you just because you, like, even though you moved, it, it could still happen to you. And that's what happened with me. I thought that my life was going to be super amazing. Like once I like, oh, I, I finished school. I got the job. I this and that. And then life threw me a curveball. And yes, these things can still happen. Just because you move out of your home country does not mean these things can't still happen. It just all depends on how you deal with it and how you go through it. So it's just, you know, everything's not going to be butterflies all the time just because you took a leap. The magic can happen, but it won't look how you think. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> that's a whole episode. <laughs> I might have to do an episode I know you know. about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so because this show is about um, inspiring Black women who are, you know, toying with the idea of becoming um, expats, what advice do you have for them about embarking upon this journey? My advice would be to um, definitely save money. I I didn't touch on that, but I did save quite a bit of money before I came because I needed to have kind of a safety net just because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think saving up and knowing some of the language, of course, but also just really, really doing your research. Um, Kind of come over and stay for two weeks or... I don't know, a week, if you can, before to see how you feel. Stay outside of, like, the kind of touristy area. Stay in a more gritty area. Uh, talk with the locals. See if it's really where you want to be. Um, but otherwise, you know, we're a globalized world. 
technology is everywhere. It's there's a lower risk of investment now than I'm sure it was 20 years ago when people would just pack up and move abroad. <laughs> so just do it. You'll be all right. I mean, maybe not in the beginning, you may not be all right, but it, it'll all balance out in the end. <laughs> so, Thank you so my much. My advice is to do it. Why not? Yeah, oh, you're very welcome. Go for it. Where can people keep up with your journey? Well, I am on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is Robinista. So it's Robin, R-O-B-I-N, like my name in Ista, I-S-T-A, Robinista. But I am also currently writing about my story, my battle with breast cancer, uh, being an expat in Paris and all of that, navigating the healthcare system, navigating dating, navigating jobs and all those things. Uh, so hopefully at some point you'll be able to pick up my book on a shelf. Yes, I look forward to it. That's going to be a compelling memoir. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I'm tired of this church. Oh, oh thank you. That's, your That's a beautiful song. Anyone else have a word from the Lord, a testimony of God's goodness? I don't have a long, drawn-out Sunday sermon on today. It's Easter Sunday, and I leave you with this word. Jesus ain't dance. He ain't pull up his pants. He moved a rock away. Be blessed. Shout out to our Patreon members. Thank you so much for your support. If you too are interested in supporting the Black Broads Abroad movement, keep up with us on social media. And that's at Black Broads Abroad, B-L-A-C-K-B-R-O-A-D-S-A-B-R-O-A-D. And that's on IG and Facebook. And if you're interested in supporting on Patreon, visit www.patreon.com backslash Black Broads Abroad.